listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. In 2022, I would love to have you join my Patreon group. I offer at least three bonus episodes a month. There is a Facebook group where we all discuss books, and we are currently reading two advanced copies of books and chatting with the authors pre-publication. I will be offering two more of these pre-pub chats soon as well. Thanks to those that already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Jennifer Smith about the unsinkable Greta James. Jennifer is the author of nine books for young adults, including The Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight and Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between, both of which have recently been adapted for film. She earned a master's degree in creative writing from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and her work has been translated into 33 languages. She currently lives in Los Angeles. I absolutely loved The Unsinkable Greta James and thoroughly enjoyed speaking with Jennifer about it. I hope you enjoy listening as well. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Welcome, Jennifer. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad you're here because I absolutely loved The Unsinkable Greta James, and I cannot wait to talk all about it. Thank you. That's always so nice to hear. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one myself. I bet you are. I was so happy to see that it was on the March Indie Next list. I love seeing that list every month, and I think it's just wonderful to see what booksellers recommend, and it's just such an honor, I think. It's the biggest honor. I mean, obviously, as a, as a author, as a former editor, as a reader, indie bookstores are just so important and so valuable. And and to to get recognized by, you know, the people who are out there hand selling books and recommending things to customers and who are just your people, book people is is the best thing. So I, I was so delighted and thrilled. I bet that is wonderful. And congratulations. Thank you. Before we dive in, I would love for you to give me a quick synopsis of the unsinkable Greta James for those that won't have read it yet. Yeah, it's um, the story of a successful indie musician who is still reeling from the sudden death of her mother and winds up on a week-long cruise to Alaska with her dad, who has never exactly been supportive of her life choices. And the trip was meant to be for the 40th, to celebrate her parents' 40th anniversary. So, you know, there's also a romance with a charmingly nerdy professor she meets on board, but it's mostly a love story about Greta and her music and her kind of quest to find her voice again. And so, yeah, that's that's the sum of it. Well, where did you come up with the idea for this one? There's a lot in it. I mean, it's a wonderful story. As I'm reading it, I did not feel like there was a lot in it. But you 
you managed to pack a big punch with a lot of different issues. And I just loved that. Thank you. It's it's true. I, I think there's a lot braided together. And it's quite different in a way. I, I've always written young adult novels, and I love doing that. And it's been such a privilege. And But most of my YA books sort of had a romance front and center and then had kind of, you know, a secondary family story or, or something else. Whereas this is really, it's, it's a lot of things. It, it most of, mostly started with I wanted to explore what it what it is to live a creative life and to kind of come as I did from a deeply practical place and a deeply practical family and to want to pursue the, not just the arts but to to pursue a career in something that's really uncertain and really unstable and that just takes a lot of risk and guts and chance and and luck honestly and I wanted to basically drop in on a character at the moment when the bottom has fallen out and she's kind of at her lowest moment. And then I, w- I wanted to put her on a ship in Alaska with the one person in her life who kind of always doubted her and who's basically a walking I told you so, and then see what happened. Why Alaska and why a cruise ship? Well, the joke is that I have written now a novel that takes place on an airplane, one that takes place on a train, a road trip story, and now a book that takes place on a cruise. My agent jokes that my next book is going to be um, a love story set on a scooter, <laughs> but I'm running out of modes of transportation. Or a spaceship to the or moon. Or a spaceship, exactly. There's a few left. But yeah, I, I just, I had gone on a cruise to Alaska with my family. I was really lucky to do that when I was in high school and it always loomed large. I love travel. I've traveled a lot. There is just nowhere I've been to that's like Alaska. It's just it's unique, it's otherworldly, it's beautiful, it's staggering. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And so it just, it was always sort of in my mind. And I thought there was something about taking these two characters, Greta and her dad, who kind of do not get along and don't quite realize they need to be put in each other's, you know, they've lost their translator. They, and they don't quite realize that like the thing they both need is to be you know, stuck together on a ship for all this time. And I thought there was something kind of lonely about Alaska. There's something stark about it. And it just seemed to fit the mood. And so I, you know, I I thought when I started writing it that I could kind of get by off memories of the trip I took and YouTube videos of Alaska and, you know, watching other people's vacations. And I realized pretty quickly into writing it that I would need to go there myself in order to really capture it. And so few years ago, I took a cruise there as a little writing retreat. And it was, you know, it's just like I said, it's, it's unlike anywhere else in the world. And it's beautiful. And, and so it was really, you know, I always say this book, it's like three love stories in one there's, you know, first and foremost, Greta and her music, and then Greta and her dad, and then Greta and the kind of romance she finds on board the ship. But if there's a fourth story, it's, it's definitely Alaska, if, if there's a fourth love story. And so it was a really you know, fun setting for a book. One of my favorite trips that we've ever taken was a cruise to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so beautiful. And like you indicated, just one of those kind of one in a million type trips. And it just brought me back there reading your book. And I think that's one of the things that appealed so much. We had such a wonderful time. The views are so pretty, yeah. the whales, bubble net fishing, just all of it. It's just such an extraordinary thing. And so it was fun to to do it with them. I'm so glad. I, I think, you know, a lot of people who have read the book who have been on those cruises have, have said, you know, how it brings them back. And then, you know, lots of people who have not have said it, it makes them want to go. It's, it's really, it's really wonderful and unique. And I also just honestly liked the idea of taking a pretty successful rock star and like sticking her on a cruise ship with her dad, because the, you know, the kind of people who go on cruise ships are not necessarily like 
30 something rock stars. And it was just too much fun of a setup to say, like, take these two very different people at this real intersection moment of their lives and like stick them in line at the buffet. (laughs) Well, and I love that when somebody recognized her and she makes it, she has a thought about a Venn diagram and the people that know her and the ship, you know, people that would be on the cruise ship. I was laughing because I was (laughs) thinking, yes, based on when we went, my kids were some of the only children on mm-hmm. that ship. So yes, it's funny to think about somebody, an indie musician in her 30s with all of the older people. <laughs> it's definitely an older crowd. And actually, I mean, she's traveling with her dad and two other couples right? who are you know, her parents' best friends. And it was supposed to be the three couples. And now I just like the kind of fish out of the water, odd man out feel of that. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was sort of the commentary on what happens to people these days, like when she has a very public breakdown and how fast news travels and the ability to have these videos everywhere online. It takes two seconds to look her up and see what happened. And it makes something that used to be a smaller thing loom so much larger. Sure. It's, it's you know, we obviously live in a really connected public world and there are benefits to that and really joyful things about it. But the downside is when, you know, a moment that you didn't necessarily want captured gets captured and it follows you around. And I think, you know, like Greta in the story, it's just becomes a thing to, to overcome and to move past. And, and, you know, she's trying to, to do that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, especially with a level of fame and the level of being a public person, that's a very real thing that, that people have to deal with often. It is. And it kind of looms in her mind the entire time. Like, are they going to have seen that video? Is somebody going to bring it up to me? That embarrassment of that incident for her. Sure. Yeah. It, ta- it tails you. And right. every new person you meet, yeah, you're wondering. And um, it's just the ripple effects of, of kind of one moment. And f- in her case, it's not like a moment where she screwed up or she did something terrible or she, it's a moment of vulnerability. And I think, you know, for an artist... It's, yeah, to show a vulnerable moment on stage and have that be the thing that kind of kicks off uncertainty and doubt. It just, it, it, they all kind of get compounded. Um, it's already, a, like I said, it's already a career with a lot of uncertainty and doubt. And so it's, it's just, it becomes this kind of endless loop of like, you show yourself being vulnerable and then you get kind of slammed for that. And then, you, but you have to be vulnerable again to write new music and to, you know, so it's, it's, it's just a tricky balance of emotion. Absolutely. Another thing I really enjoyed was Ben's love of Jack London. So where did that come from? Um, yeah, he. I wish I could say that I was a massive Jack London fan, and that's where that came from. I am, you know, I, I really like his work, and I have read a lot of it. But I sort of worked backwards and wanted to find a an author who had had experiences in Alaska and who had written about Alaska to kind of like hinge this character on. The character of Ben. He's a he's a professor of history who has written a novel that is a fictionalized version of, of Jack London's life and his adventures in Alaska. Jack London had this kind of one period of his life, one season of his life, really, where he went up in the Klondike Gold Rush and he had all these kind of adventures and it, it, was, it was exciting in some ways and very grim in other ways. And I just, I wanted him to be obsessed with, with somebody who had an Alaskan connection so that he would be on the, the ship lecturing about it. And it was really fun once I chose that to kind of dive in. And, you know, I hadn't read Call of the Wild since I was a kid. And it was, it's just fun. And it's always fun reading about, you know, I think Alaska is fascinating. And to read, uh, you know, all the kind of nonfiction stories about London's adventures there, to have the idea of this kind of mild mannered professor, 
kind of nerdy writer who's just always, you know, completely lionized this this author was was it was fun to explore. Well, it was fun to read as well. Well, what was it like switching from YA to writing adult fiction? You know, it's been really wonderful. Like I said, I I absolutely I wrote I've written I think eight or nine young adult novels and it's been just one of the biggest privileges of my life to get to talk to teens, to get the, you know, when you're writing for teens and they love a book, they will tell you. And when they hate a book, they will tell you. And they are just so honest, but their enthusiasm is unparalleled. And it's been just a joy to, to do it. And, you know, a couple of the books actually got the, the movies filmed last year. So they'll be out at some point, hopefully in the next year or so. And it's been really fun to kind of revisit them in that way. And, and, it's just all been really wonderful. But I'm also, you know, getting older. And it's after a decade plus of writing about teens and teen years, it was really nice to get to write about somebody who's closer to my own age and whose experiences are closer to my experiences. And it was just, you know, it gave me a little bit more freedom and leeway to to get deeper and more vulnerable because the emotions are closer to my own. And especially with Greta, I am, you know, I'm not a rock star, shockingly. <laughs> and I don't even play the guitar. <laughs> I might be tone deaf. But I, as a as a writer, as somebody who's made my living doing this for a while and has been, you know, publishing for over a decade, the, the emotions are similar. Um, those those worries and doubts and the joys and the the feeling of all the rejections that pile up along the way and, and the, you know, being an artist is such a, a wild, there's a wild juxtaposition between, you know, you have to have this like unshakable belief in yourself. And at the same time, you're, you are aware that the bottom could drop out at any moment. And so it was just, I was gonna say it was fun to channel those motions. I think <laughs> cathartic is probably the better word, but it was nice to write about a character who's, who's, you know, again, not a rock star, but <laughs> in other ways, a lot closer to me. Well, and just to do something different after you've written a number of YA books. Sure. I mean, I, again, you know, it was, it's been such a lovely thing and I, I hope to do more of it. But in the past few years, I wrote this novel. I, I wrote my first screenplays. I wrote my first picture book and it's been really fun to shake things up and try new things and, and different challenges. What about having worked in the publishing world? Did that inform your writing at all of this book? Did you do anything differently that you would have otherwise done, do you think? I think it took me a lot longer to write this book because I had been on, in the publishing industry. And I always worked. So for years, I was an editor on the adult side. And I was always looking for and acquiring and, and hoping to buy and publish books like this. And it was okay to write YA while I was doing that because it always felt a bit different. But I think once I sat down to write the kind of book I used to sit around in editorial meetings and discuss um, the merits of, it was a it was a little bit trickier, honestly, and I felt more reluctant to let it go when it was done. I felt more nervous to show it to people. I I felt like the stakes were higher in a way because it was, you know, it was the kind of book that I I just had worked on the other side of the table on. Ultimately, I think it pushed me to make it even better because I I just I really like worked on it and worked on it and worked on it for years. I mean, the other thing is I had always kind of sold my young adult novels on, you know, the first 60 or 70 pages and then written the rest. Whereas this, I just, I held on to it for years and it was kind of my side project that was my, you know, not quite secret project, but it was the thing that I was always just excited to go to when I hit another deadline for something else. And it was the thing that I always said, if I never got it to where I wanted it to be, I wouldn't show it to anybody. I felt 
I felt really convicted about it. And I just wanted it to be the best version of it that it could be. And, you know, I'm really proud of it. It's, it's, I've never been quite so proud of a book before. I, I really worked to kind of get it where I wanted it. And it's more personable and more vulnerable in certain ways. And so it's, it's been a wonderful experience, but, a, you know, a, a tough one in some ways. And, and I'm just now excited for it to go out into the world. So I read it a while ago, and then I flipped through it this morning, you know, quickly, but got through the whole book again so we could talk and I could refresh myself. And I was trying to decide what it is when a book just completely overwhelms you, like when I just love a book, like what it is about that book. And, you know, it's just one of those feelings. And so I guess as an editor, I'm sure you experience that many times, like, I just love this book. It's because this, this, and this must be hard to try to recreate that, I guess. You know, so on your side, you're like, I know the feeling of yes. what it's like when I hold a book like that. So I want everybody else to have that feeling and and probably to get it where you feel like it's good enough for that would be hard. I think that's right. And I think part of that is, is yes, you can be sort of in your head about it because you're thinking, well, everyone's time is precious. And, you know, even big readers only have the capacity to read so many books. And I know the feeling when I pick up a book and can't put it down and want to tell everybody I love it. And, and it makes me emotional and it makes me laugh and it makes me cry. And so you can get in your head, especially at the beginning where you're like, okay, I want to do this and I want to make it as good as possible. And I want to make a book that people really love. And I think what ends up happening at a certain point is that, you know, you have to step out of your head and your heart kind of takes over and it, it's just, you pour a lot of emotion into it. And, you know, you never know if it all comes together. It's, it's such a, there's such an alchemy to this, <laughs> to writing and, you know, you can have all the ingredients and sometimes they just don't come together. And sometimes they do. And, and it's been so gratifying to have such, you know, such a wonderful response when we sent it out to editors. It's been such a wonderful response as it's gone out to, to more and more readers. And I just, it's, it's all you ever hope for is that, that people love the book. And I think after doing this for so long, I, I am so well aware that this is, you know, this is a, a kind of a, a funny job and a funny industry. And it's not a straight line. I've, you know, I've, I wrote two books before my first one ever got published. And then my first two books got published, sold about two copies each. My third published book was the, was the first to break out. But I will say like, since then I've had, I've had books that the publisher has been very behind that didn't really sell very much. I've had books that nobody expected much out of that, that went on to just, you know, through word of mouth become big hits. And I've had everything in between. And I think the longer you do it, what you realize is like, you just have to control what you can control, which is the book itself. And and by that, I mean, you have to put everything into it and you have to put your heart into it and you have to just, and then you send it out into the world and, and the best you, you don't know what'll happen. And the best you can hope for is that you're really proud of it. So it's, you know, that's, that's the case with this one. And in, in a way it makes you kind of, you know, more relaxed about it. And you think, you know, whatever, I hope readers love it, but at a certain point, it's it's theirs and not mine. And it's, you know, that's all you can do is, is they're like messages in a bottle that you're sending out into the world and you put your stamp on them and then you see what happens. Well, it is such a mysterious process. And I always find it fascinating to watch that. The books that the publishers are really behind, the ones, as you mentioned, that sometimes, you know, due to other things coming out or whatever else is happening, they're maybe not as much behind, but then those books take off. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously there's no formula or people would have it and it'd be so <laughs> easy to predict this book will be popular, this book will not. But it's just so interesting to see how it all plays out. It really is. And at the end of the day, like I said, it's just, you know, I, you know, when I think about this, this book, especially with, it's about a musician, it's about a rock star and, and the way she, and, and, you know, in order to write it, I, I watched a lot of videos of rock stars and guitarists and, and people doing sets. And what I've come to, to know is that 
that's a louder, more, it's, it's got a bigger immediate impression to, to play music on a stage in front of an audience. And there is an electricity to that, to being in a room where that's happening. But I also think there's something even more personal and more kind of vital and important about what happens between a writer and a reader. It's not the same. You're not in an auditorium of screaming fans, but it is a message in the bottle. And it's something that, you know, you're, and, and the best hope is as you hand it off, often metaphorically to readers, that then they read it and love it and hand it off to the next person. And that's, that's where the magic of this happens. It's just people connecting. Well, and you articulated it way better than I did. <laughs> but it is that feeling of laughing and crying and really wanting to know what's going to happen to these characters being done with the book and being sad that it's over, but loving the ending. Yes. Just, and then obviously the, the number one part of it is wanting to tell everyone I know, you must read this book. <laughs> yes. You know, and I think you just become in, I don't know what the right word for it is, but you become evangelical about a book, you know, and you're just like, this is the book you must read. Yep. And so I think, yes, that that's what happens. It's just interesting to see how it happens sometimes. Yeah. And I think, oh, no, as you said, nobody really knows. It's just, you know, it's just right. organic. It is, which is wonderful. Yes. No spoilers. So I loved the ending. I'm not going to say how it ends, but did you have that in your mind the whole time or did that happen as you were writing? You know, I always know the the general feeling I want to leave the reader with at the end. And I knew I was working towards the big kind of set piece scene that happens at the end. But the moment you're probably talking about, which is the moment that everybody <laughs> keeps t telling me made them cry. Um, at the end of the book, I didn't know it was going to happen until I was in the scene and writing it. I thought something else was going to happen there. So, you know, I don't outline my books, which often feels like a, a wildly inefficient way to write. And I wish <laughs> that I was, I could and did and and would. But every once in a while, when something like that happens, and you you feel like your subconscious really like came and and saved the day when you're in a moment that you did literally didn't know what was going to happen until you you wrote your way into it you know, it's, it's just, it's, it, those are the best kinds as a writer. It's, it's, and that ending, it's just been a real crowd pleaser of an ending. And, and it's, it's my favorite moment in the book. And so, yes, I hope, I hope people like it. Well, I always think it's fascinating to hear how titles come about. Some authors title their book at the beginning and that stays all the way through. Sometimes they don't title them at all. Sometimes the editor says, no, thank you to the title. How did your title come about? Oh, man, I, you know, with all the books I've written, I've had a couple where I knew right at the beginning. But most of mine are 11th hour nail biter, stressful, terrible, you know, like frantically trying to look up passages of Shakespeare and poems and like looking anywhere for inspiration. This was like that, unfortunately, the amount of nautical terms I now know <laughs> as I was trying to reach for a title. That's hilarious. You know, I, I think I think titles are, are very hard. And all the titles I could think of for this had to do with like ships and water and or, or musical notes and things like that. And they all felt very staid. And a friend of mine who's also a novelist, Morgan Matson, she writes really wonderful YA books. We were hanging out one day and she she's very good at brainstorming. And she actually thought up the title. And to me, you know, I joke still that the title is like 30% pluckier than the book is. <laughs> um, but it's I there's something kind of sticky and and catchy about it that I really liked and it obviously works on, you know, more than one level. And, and so it's, we, we kind of, it was a placeholder for a little bit and then we, we, we didn't have anything better and every, it kind of grew on everybody, which is often what happens where you have a title that you float and then float, sorry, <laughs> ship, told you ship funds and it, and then every, it really just grows in everybody. And then you have a hard time thinking of it any other way. 
I love titles that have more than one meaning. And so I felt this was a really good one for that very reason. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's a fun one. It is a fun one. So is it difficult to write the relationship with Greta and Conrad, her father? They really struggle. And I felt for both of them. Was that difficult? It was difficult. Um, You know, I wanted it. That's what I wanted you to feel. I wanted you to really see both their sides. And they're, neither of them are all wrong and neither of them are all right. They are just, you know, like I said, two people who have lost their translator in Greta's mother. And they are just basically trying to like figure out how to, how to have a relationship without her. And it's hard because, you know, Conrad, her dad's, you know, a lot of his, his worry, it comes out of it's, his worry comes from a place of love, his worry for her. And he's a very p- deeply practical Midwestern person. And, and then on the same side, like, you know, Greta's wanting his support and he wants to, she wants him to show up the way her mom always showed up. And so I wanted them to both be sympathetic and also both be frustrating. And, you know, they, there's a scene that I won't give away, but where a lot of this comes to head and, it was the hardest scene in the book. It, it stalled me for months, literally months, um, because it was just the kind of the heart of everything. And was the moment where all their different threads and issues had to come together. And then it had to kind of send them off in a new direction. And so it was a complicated relationship and, and uh, a challenge to kind of really dig in on it. But ultimately, you know, I wanted it there to be a kindness to it all because everything does come from a place of deep love. It's just they're two people who don't really understand each other. And are so frustrated with the years of not getting along and those things really build up and it's hard to let it go. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I, I always say like my, my parents are kind of like both the parents. They, they are my greatest cheerleaders, like, like Greta's mom. They will go into a bookstore and, you know, move my books to the front, front tables and (laughs) rearrange everything. And they, they love reading the reviews and they're, they're just like Greta's mom with a scrapbook. They're just huge cheerleaders, but they are also you know, really practical people who probably would have been excited if I had, you know, been a lawyer or something else and not, not do something that that's in the arts. And that's kind of um, such a leap, really. And so I could really feel both those things as I was writing and, and just, yeah, wanted to wanted to explore that relationship. And without any spoilers, I love the way that resolved as well. Thank you. Um, it's, it was, it was, like I said, I wanted the the arc of it to have a kindness to it. So it's, you know, they, they are frustrating people who have a lot of frustrations with each other, but there's there's a lot of love there as well. Absolutely. Do you think you'll continue to write adult fiction? Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on a new one right now, and it's another you know emotional family story, and it's just been really lovely. I, and I still hope you know to write more YA too. It's it's you kind of want to do all the things. I've been having such a good time trying new things, but I do feel like with Greta. Like I said, this is sort of the most most proud I've been of a book and the most I've challenged myself and pushed myself on a book and and it it makes me want to do more like it. Have you enjoyed writing screenplays? I have. It's almost a totally different muscle. It feels like a very different kind of thing because you're not as worried about, you know, making the sentences sound nice. <laughs> you're you're more laying the blueprints for something that will later have all these other moving pieces to it and I've been lucky enough with the two of my books that filmed last year to get to to be on set for those and kind of see just how much the script is a starting point versus a novel where it's the thing. And it's just, it's really fun and exciting in a totally different way. And I think I feel really lucky to have had the opportunity to do both. And I, I hope to keep doing both. Yes, I bet it's a lot of fun. And then to actually see the filming of it would be just amazing. 
Yeah, I didn't. So the two that filmed were based on my books. I didn't write those screenplays, but it was just such a cool, I'm adapting two others. Got it. Of my books, one of them on my own and one of them with a writing partner. And it's just been, it's just, it's interesting. And, and it's, you know, you wrote, you wrote a thing and that's, that's a separate thing, <laughs> the book. And then when you write the screenplay, often to make it more visual or cinematic, you have to change it quite a bit. And it, it is, it, it's made me laugh now that I'm, you know, doing it because I've had people change my things quite a lot over the years when screenwriters, you know, get their hands on them. And I, I never minded. I always thought, you know, they exist as two different things, but it, it kind of made me laugh. I always thought if I adapted my own that, I, you know, as the author, I'd be very true to it. And actually, like, I've, I've changed them more than anybody else has. So it really is. They're, they're just kind of two different mediums in a way. But it's nice to have the, the freedom to try new versions of them. Absolutely. Well, what have you read recently that you really liked? You know, one of the best books I read last year was The Vanishing Half, which I know is not an original recommendation, but I just, I can't stop thinking about it. I loved it so much. I think Britt Bennett is a genius. I also recently read Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead, which is just gorgeous and so epic and sweeping. And I just finished reading this book that's not actually out till June, I think, um, that's called The Mutual Friend by Carter Bays, who's a co-creator of How I Met Your Mother. And it's got that same kind of like fun, cozy New York City feel to it that, that the show does. It's not related to the show, but it's just a, a real kind of puzzle box of a novel about social media and connection. And it's, it's, I'm excited for that to come out. Well, I did love The Vanishing Half. And actually, I just recently interviewed Britt Bennett because the paperback just came out. Oh. So it was interesting to get to talk to her. I was going to say, she's amazing. I, I, that was my first book I read by her, but now I have every other one on hold at the library. <laughs> uh, the Mothers is so good. I just love that book. I read it when it came out, and it was one of those that I pressed into everybody's hand. I just thought it was so good, and I loved the kind of Greek chorus of The Mothers. I just loved the whole story. I thought it was wonderful, and I love The Vanishing Half as well, but I really love The Mothers. And Great Circle has probably been mentioned by more authors than almost <laughs> any other book. It's so funny how there are just certain books that come up again and again. It's so impressive and it's just so, um, it's so ambitious and it just like, it, it's transportive and I, I really loved it. It was just, you know, sometimes you're looking for a quick breezy read and sometimes you're looking for a big fat juicy novel to really sink your teeth into and fall into. And that was, it was sort of just what I needed at the right moment. And I, I loved it. It's on my bookshelf and I really do need to get to it, but it's just funny because even though it's been out a little while, it still continues to get mentioned. Yeah, yes. Well, you got to read it and I, I will read The Mothers and then we'll report back. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jennifer, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. And I can't wait for everybody to read The Unsinkable Greta James. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. 
The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.